Hola, hello, hi, bienvenido, and welcome back or welcome to Mentors Today. Today, I'm super excited. This has actually been a conversation that's been a while in the making. Actually, more excited than normal to have this conversation with my friend, Sophia Hack. Sophia is the founder and CEO of the Muslim Women's Professional Community. She's a huge long LA believer like I am, a real, truly diverse Californian. She is, to me, the representation of the California of the modern era and, and the California of the future. She has this amazing kind of multicultural story that bridges the gaps between two vibrant worlds. Born and raised in Southern California here, but to a Pakistani father and a Mexican mother, Sophia's life story is truly this vibrant tapestry of multiculturalism that is gonna be what makes our country great going forward. She's a fellow also at Included VC, um, which is a global VC fellowship that seeks to diversify and transform venture capital as an industry. She's, as we already mentioned, the founder and CEO of the Muslim Women, Women's Professionals Group. In that work, she is spearheaded the fastest growing organization for Muslim women worldwide, empowering them through both personal and professional development resources and events. She has been a venture partner at Republic, a brand that everybody who listens to the show knows all about and their commitment to diversity. And her journey previously has included roles such as senior program and community manager at XRC Ventures. If you haven't figured it out yet already in the bio, she is a real advocate just on a daily basis. She lives her commitment to diversity and inclusion and access and, and equity and equality on a regular basis. And you don't always have to agree with her or me, right? But you have to respect the people that live in their truth. And I'm really, really excited to have that. She, uh, by the way, quick little note to show how she's been recognized for her work and her life. Um, she at one point won the Unsung Hero Award from the Female Founders Alliance, um, which I would love to hear a little bit more about. So, hey, all that said, here's my friend, Sophia. Sophia, welcome to Mentors Today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. How are you today? It's been a, it's been a long, tough couple of weeks. It has been a, a tough couple of weeks with a lot that's been happening abroad, um, in Palestine specifically. Um, but, you know, this is part of the work that we have to do. And in any way that I can use my platform to bring awareness to what's been happening and to the Muslim women there that are being impacted, I will always do that. It's awesome. No, I love that. And like I said, respect that um, unequivocally. So good for you. Keep leading with your story. Speaking of your story, so we were talking right before we went on air. You have some family roots in a, in a part of Mexico that is oftentimes today in kind of hip, cool, hip, cool gentrification of Mexico. It's kind of overlooked. Uh, Leon, Leon in Guanajuato, yes. kind of at the heart of the country. But, but you have this incredible multicultural background, which, you know, it's always awkward to talk about, like, what our parents' lives were um, as it relates to us. But I would love for you to do that. Share a little bit of your family story and kind of some of this family history that brings together these two really diverse people, diverse cultures, meet, and voila, some number of years later, here you are. <laughs> no, thank you so much for that. And yeah, it's when I think about it, and I think about even how my parents who actually met in LA, downtown LA, you know, kind of came together in their stories, I'm always very much in awe of it all. So for my mom, my mom was actually born in Leon, Guanajuato, which I love giving it a shout out because I think it definitely gets forgotten at certain it points. 100% does. Mexico. 
uh, but very proud um, to be to have family from there. And so my mom is from Leon, Guanajuato. She was born there. She was one of nine children. And when she was around five, six years old, they moved to East LA. Um, my grandmother at that time was going through some health issues. And so they moved to LA to get her, you know, better health care and all of that. So when my mom moved to East LA, uh, when she was around five or six years old, they were there for about a year, a year or two before settling in La Puente. So um, I was born and raised in West Covina, Walnut as well. Love it. And, you know, La Puente is definitely like my second home. I grew up going there every single weekend. And then my dad, on the other hand, my dad was born and raised in Lahore, Pakistan, which is Punjab. And, you know, grew up there before moving to the Middle East to work. And then after the Middle East, he went down to Zimbabwe and lived there. Wow. And then when my uncle was in an accident here in the United States, in California specifically, my dad actually came to California. He thought he was only going to be in California for a few months. And then he ended up meeting my mom within the year. So, and so the st- and thus the rest of the story. Literally. Yeah. And they met in downtown LA, which is why like, I feel like both my parents have so much pride in, in also being like Angelinos because That's you know awesome. it's the city that brought them both together. That's awesome. And your mom will be super excited. I don't know if your mom's a podcast fan, but she'll listen to this one and she'll be super excited to know not only have we shouted out Leon a few times, <laughs> but I can also promise her mom, there will be people who will listen to this episode in Leon. Oh my God. I hope so. I will definitely send it in the family group chat. Right. So yeah, incredible background, obviously informs who you are. Talk about that growing up as that girl, right? Growing up as the, I mean, we, when, when, when we grew up this way and I didn't, right. But I have lots of friends that have, and my daughter is, is multiracial. Um, and so when you grow up this way, I can only imagine, right. You don't grow up thinking to yourself, like, oh, this is what I am, right? I mean, you just are. You're just that person. Um, but how, as you now can look back a little bit, you've aged, matured, right? You've got a little life under your belt. How can you look back and say that the diversity of the cultures between your parents, how, how has that shaped kind of the, the woman you become? Yeah, no, that's a really great question. You know, I think nowadays being interracial, I feel like is so much more popular, right? It's like so much more, you know, shown in like the media, you definitely see it more often. And I feel like nowadays, it's like very normal. But even when I was growing up, being mixed wasn't necessarily very common. And unfortunately, I did get a lot of like pushback from from the community, specifically the Pakistani community, not really the Mexican side. And so what I appreciated about my parents was that my parents really focused on building a space and a community for us that was really diverse. They really always wanted us to understand the power and what it meant to be mixed race. I remember my parents telling us, you being mixed race gives you the ability to see the world from multiple points of view. Some people who are only from maybe one community will only see it a certain way. You're going to see from the perspective of a South Asian. You're going to see from the perspective of a Latino. You're going to see from the perspective of a Muslim. And it doesn't stop there. Now you need to also be able to open your mind to other uh, communities as well. So I definitely give my parents a lot of credit for that in the sense that they really built an inclusive community for us, but also taught us at a very young age the responsibility that we had to also continue to educate ourselves and advocate for others who are also, you know, diverse or marginalized. Yeah. 
That's awesome. And what great parenting, right? Regardless of our backgrounds, the end of the day, great parenting shines through. So kudos to, kudos to both your mom and dad for, for raising you the way that they have. Um, You're a star in the ecosystem of entrepreneurialism in Southern California. Like you are, you are one of those people that when you post something or you write about something, the pantheon of people that like it, love it, comment on it, like send you your flowers are like the, the, the best people, right? You, yeah. you posted something the other day and immediately I look at the, at the comments below beyond myself and it's like Mickey Reynolds and this person and that person, right? And I'm like, that to me is the testament to how involved you have been and like how credible a leader you are at a young age here in Southern California. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about our love for Southern California and Los Angeles and its potential, right? So why? So we have that phrase that we love here, hashtag long LA, right? Why are you long LA or even quote unquote like Southern California? Oh my gosh, I have so much pride in being from LA. I mean, first, as I already mentioned, you know, my parents being from Los or, you know, meeting in Los Angeles, I don't know if that would have happened in any, just any city, right? So the ability for my parents to meet, I feel like in itself is just such a beautiful thing. And honestly, just witnessing the diversity growing up, you know, again, I born and raised in West Covina, I was also raised in Walnut, because I went to school there. And then on the weekends, would go to Downey and La Puente and all these parts of Southern California and just see so much diversity. And I truly think that LA just has so much diversity and so much beauty in that. And I feel like, unfortunately, we do kind of get forgotten in a lot of ways, right? Even when we talk about VC, people immediately go to Silicon Valley, or they immediately go to New York. But you know, people in LA have been entrepreneurs, they've been, you know, small business owners, they've been building for years and years and years. And so I have so much pride, again, being from here. And I feel like, no matter where I go in the world, whether it's London or New York, there's just something about LA and this pride that we have and this love for the city that we want to take care of and see and be successful. And so I, you brought up Mickey Reynolds, who's someone who has done so much work for the LA entrepreneurial community. And, and I am forever indebted to her for always just being such an incredible mentor to me. But like her and like yourself, I just, I want to see LA succeed. And I think the more that we pour back into this community, the more we're going to see that happen um, in the years to come. No, completely agree. Yeah. It's, I mean, and you will get to it a little bit further in here, but you also went to college here, right? So, I mean, you've been embedded in, in the community for so long and you've seen it from so many different points of view, which is awesome. And I can sit here and say that I am a believer in it and I've seen its potential evolve over the 27 years that I've lived here. But the truth is, as you hear me talk about on social media, right, I'm really worried and focused more on like what it's going to be in the next 50 to 100 years. For sure. Right? So, so that's going to be your lifetime, not mine. Right? <laughs> and so, so it's, it's, uh, it's really awesome to see younger people or young people who are so excited about what's possible here and who recognize like what our real strengths are. We had an episode, I think it's two episodes ago now, with a young woman who is an actor, writer, producer, creative type in Hollywood and in the entertainment industry. And if you listen to that episode, it reinforces that the entertainment industry is essentially just a collection of entrepreneurial people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? And and so there's this mythology that like that's like this big corporate studio world, and that's not how it is anymore. And so the the anchor industry, even for our region now, is essentially in its roots entrepreneurial, 
Absolutely. And I feel like even when we talk about diversity, right, it's not just one community. You've seen Asian, Black, Latino, I mean, et cetera, just like thrive here in LA. And I feel like yeah. that to me is like seeing entrepreneurs from these communities thrive, you know, I feel like, like you said, like they get kind of forgotten because people think LA and they think Hollywood. And it's like, no, they're, they're they've been here, they've been building it and they're embedded in the industry as well. And it wouldn't be yeah. the best that it is without them. No, hundred percent agree. I, one of the statistics that I really attached myself to this last year was when Pledge LA released their reports about, you know, venture capital commitment and growth here in, in Los Angeles. And while we would both agree and, and everybody I talk to agrees, there's always, there's way more work to do. The truth is when you compare the tiny, tiny, minuscule amount of venture capital in the world that goes, or in the country, in the US that goes to women, or then to women of color or to LGBTQ or to, to founders of color in general, beyond women, like those numbers are tiny, like fractions. We all know how small sure. they are. Yeah. But in LA, those numbers, although still small, are like two to three to four X right. what they are in the rest of the country. Right. Right. So if it's like 2% in one category here, it's six and a half percent. Right. And, and if it's 3%, it's 9%. And that's meaningful. That's like, those are, if the, if the tiny numbers matter, progressive growth on top of those tiny numbers matters as well. So, all right. So one of the communities that is obviously maybe, as you say, kind of under the radar here, but, but when you peel back the demographics of the region, you realize how many people there are that fit this profile and you're doing everything to, to amplify this is Muslim women. Right. And so, so let's go back in time. Literally, I want to hear the whole origin story behind MWP. Like why, why this, why you, why did you launch it then? And, and what does it mean today? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I had the idea for Muslim women professionals back in 2016, and it was right after I had graduated from college. And I think a lot of Muslim women, a lot of us are either obviously immigrants or first gen. And so, you know, for a lot of Muslim women, maybe their mothers, you know, don't work, you know, or maybe they're the first in their family to pursue a specific career. And so we're kind of on our own in, in that way. And there wasn't really a space for Muslim women to come together and to be able to build a sisterhood, to be able to share resources, to be able to network and, and provide professional development resources. And so when I, you know, was thinking about my experience back in 2016, and thinking like, man, I wish we had something like this, right? And I would talk to my girlfriends who were also Muslim women, and we were all going through the same things. It was like, how do you ask for a raise? How do you advocate for yourself in the workplace? How do I request Eid off or, or talk about what it means to fast during Ramadan? Like things that are very personal to our experiences. And so as time just went on, it was an idea in the back of my head. I was working in luxury fashion at that time. And then... Donald Trump decided to run for president and then became president and, you know, implemented the Muslim ban. And I feel like at that time, for me, to be honest, it just became so personal. Like, I was like, absolutely not. And it's so funny that you say, like, why you? And I asked myself that question back then. It was like, why me? Who am I to take on this huge, you know, idea? But I thought about it and it was like, well, I'm passionate, you know, when I was in college, I, I majored in gender studies, I was really passionate about, you know, women's rights and gender equity across different sectors, across different cultures. And so for me, it just kind of, it just became a question of, instead of why me, why not me? And so that's when I started 
slowly but surely doing surveys. I left my job. I, I started doing surveys. I started interviewing women. And then what started off as this organization or what started off actually of a group of like four of us getting together at a coffee yeah. shop just multiplied. And, you know, now wow. it, it's, it's huge. So to give us a snapshot of what it is today. Yeah. So across, I want to say even like on our LinkedIn, we have over 11,000 followers. As of the other day, I checked on our website and our website has been viewed in 90 countries just in 2023. Um, resources that we've been building, such as how to request Eid off or how to talk to your coworkers about Ramadan have received, I mean, insane amounts of views. We've received comments and messages from Muslim women all over the world who talk about how they want MWP in their areas, whether it be South Africa, Germany, the UK, Turkey. It's been amazing. And, you know, we actually had a virtual conference this past year and we brought over 30 Muslim women from different industries together to come speak and had such an amazing turnout. And so we realized that, wow, this is something that women want. This is where they feel like they see so much of who they are and we want to continue to uh, bring that to them, especially at a time when we're continuously seeing a lot of Muslim women be forgotten in narratives centered around DEI or gender equity. And so we want to make sure that this is something that we continue to do. That's awesome. Uh, incredible work from four friends in LA, right? To hanging out at a coffee shop, supporting each other. Exactly. To all the events and content and, and networking, I'm sure that has happened over the years. Also, like you said, 2016, I mean, you know, you're like, Hey, I'm just a college graduate. Like what am yeah. I? I'm just, a, right. I mean, I'm going to conquer the world, but also like, who am I? I mean, imposter syndrome, right. That's for sure. But I think that's, that's what it means to be an entrepreneur. Right. And this is what I tell everybody that I know who wants to be an entrepreneur. I'm like, you have to be the biggest optimist. You have to obviously find the balance, right. Of being an optimist and realist, but like you have to, you have to believe in something that does not exist and creating it. And so, you know, I look back at that Sophia from years ago and I just think, wow, she had, she was angry. <laughs> she was not happy with what was going on, but thank God she did it because look at where we are now with building this org. Yeah. You channel, you channeled that, those frustrations and those, those answers to that question, but like, why doesn't this exist? Right? Like, why do my friends and I have to ask each other and there isn't another place where we can go to find this information or to find the encouragement? And you channeled that. That's awesome. For sure. And when we did the survey, we actually found that like only like 20 to 23% of Muslim women actually felt supported uh, in wow. their communities and their careers. And so that's when I knew that this was this this was a problem. And when we started doing interviews, the amount of women who told me that they were being harassed at work, that, you know, their hijab had been pulled off their head, that they just did not feel comfortable talking about their identities. It's like, this is when DEI and all these things become a little performative, right? If yeah. it's truly about, you know, creating inclusive spaces for all people, for people of all diverse backgrounds, you know, we need to really make sure that we're checking in on our employees and building, you know, solutions. And so for me, the fact that a lot of those same women have come to me and said how this is such an incredible resource, like that at the end of the day, that's what is so fulfilling to me to see that this yeah. is actually helping people. Uh, I can imagine. Um, I, I'm curious, and, and maybe there are a few that maybe there aren't in your memories from all the years are there just one or two women's stories that st have stuck with you over the years, other than your own, obviously, 
was there ever like a memorable experience or someone that, you know, sent you a message and said like, this happened to, like, this is what I've been living through and to have this group or, or maybe are there just too many of them to remember? Honestly, <laughs> there's so many and I get messages from everyone, but I will say that there have the messages where, you know, women have said like the one I mentioned where it's like, you know, I'm, I'm an engineer and I'm being harassed by my male coworkers or, you know, I'm a Muslim woman who took off my hijab because I'm living in fear. And then when you see the messages from them and saying like, you know, after you did, you know, your event, spiritual rights in the workplace, I went to HR and I, and I presented everything that happened and now we're taking like legal action or, you know, if it's someone who like, you know, with the hijab, like I took off my hijab, but you know, after, you know, utilizing your resources and attending the conference and seeing so many Muslim women from across different sectors talk about their experiences and navigating spaces like healthcare or entrepreneurship, et cetera, it gave me the confidence to put the hijab back on. And so things like that, honestly, just like, those are the things that really like make me realize like, wow, this work, we need to keep pushing, we need to keep going. And, you know, there's a lot of Muslim women who have reached out to me in parts of the world where we have not, you know, had like a formal chapter or presence, but they're like, I'm utilizing your resources here. Or, you know, you, you made me decide to look into my spiritual rights in the workplace in this country. And so now I'm working with HR or now I'm hiring an attorney. And so it's those things that like really make me happy because if you don't know your rights in the workplace, if you don't know your rights, period, how are you going to be able to necessarily advocate for yourself, especially when sure. the cards are already stacked against you? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the good power of the internet at its best, right? Right. That's, um, that's awesome. All right. So we've talked a lot about multiculturalism. We've talked a lot about like real diversity, right? Like on a daily basis in your own life upbringing in, in the work that you've done with MWP and how impactful. So, so you've got this anchor in you. There's just like this thread in Sophia's life story, right? That is community, right? That is, that is, is activism. And another part of it, I would imagine you're going to tell me to empowering people or communities is capital. Right. And, and access to it and, and how to leverage it and the power of it. And you, in the, if, as we shift to the entrepreneurial economy side of your life, you've been really actively involved in that part of the community here. Right. So you've worked at, at really top notch organizations. You've been a part of what I call the entrepreneurial economy or some people call the ecosystem here in Los Angeles and beyond. Talk about a couple of the stops on your career track so far along the way. Yeah, so it's so crazy because I didn't I didn't know what VC was growing up, right? I grew up in a middle income household. And then, you know, we did become low income at one point because my father had severe health issues and later ended up passing away. And so investing to me in my mind was like white men and women have the privilege to invest. I don't have that, right? And I don't know how to do that. And it's this far-fetched concept, and I'm never gonna be able to do it because I don't know what it is, and I'm probably not. I'm probably not going to ever be able to do it. And it's interesting because as I started building uh, Muslim women professionals, that's when I started actually meeting a lot of Muslim women entrepreneurs. And I remember vividly an entrepreneur who's one of my friends came up to me and said, I was approached by an investor to actually take equity in my company. 
And I said, oh, that's interesting. She said, yeah, but I don't want him to invest in it. And I said, well, why not? And she said, because he just sees me as a dollar sign. He doesn't see me as a human being. He doesn't recognize why I started this business, you know, the the impact that I'm trying to make. He just sees me for what it is. It's just money. And then she said to me, and I and, I, and it's funny because I just thought of this the other day, but it stuck with me. And she said, I wish you were an investor because if you were an investor, I would do whatever you told me to do because I trust you because I know that you are genuinely passionate and care about our community. And I, and it just kind of stayed wow. with me. And this was back in like 2018. And then in 2020, as I was building MWP and, and the pandemic happened, I thought about potentially doing MWP as a full-time job. So I thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to apply to business school. And then simultaneously found out about grid 110. And then I kind of made the statement out loud of like, if I get into grid 110, I'm not going to pursue an MBA right now. I'm going to just- Grid 110 was about to be your MBA. Yeah, exactly. And so I was like, but if I don't get into grid 110, I'm going to apply to business school. And so I got into grid 110 and grid 110 obviously is just such an incredible organization led, you know, that was founded by Mickey Reynolds. And I ended up doing the fall cohort and it changed my life. The ability to be able to, you know, build my organization, build the foundation of it while simultaneously working with other founders from across different industries, understanding what VC actually was, learning from people like Justin Wolks and Nina Klein and Austin Clemens from Slauson, you know, being able to have, and between us, I probably had like 15 office hours with them. I think they were sick of me at that point, but I was like, (laughs) I'm going to take advantage of this and I don't care. And there you go. And learning from them. And that's when I kind of realized, like, I think this is what I want to do. And Mickey was just such a huge advocate for me. And she was like, you should do this. Like, you shouldn't wait, you know, years from now, just do it. And so I said, okay, fine, I'll think about it. So worked at a startup. And then after the startup, a few months later, I got my job at XRC Ventures. Um, And XRC Ventures, you know, invested in, you know, retail, consumer, next gen tech, health tech. And so I started off my role as a as a program manager working on the platform side. And I think my personal opinion is anyone who wants to be an investor should actually work in platform first because the ability to work closely with founders and understand what their personal and professional hurdles are and their goals are is so important because relationship building is such a huge part, as you know, of venture capital. And so to me, just being able to work with these founders, to see them pitch, to build the curriculum for the accelerator, all of that was such a huge, it just played such a huge part in allowing me to see like the, like literally right in front of me, what VC was and um, getting to work closely with investors and all of that. So that really gave me just like so much insight. And, you know, simultaneously while doing that, working and meeting with a lot of diverse entrepreneurs from all over the world. And um, I did get promoted. I got promoted to senior program and community manager. And, you know, just the ability to like make a difference there. And, you know, at that point, we received the highest NPS score from founders in terms of like their founder satisfaction. But deep down, I always knew that the power was on the investor side, right? I remember hearing from a partner at uh, at Included BC, which we'll, I know we'll talk about, that you know he believed that people in platform should actually get some carry in a lot of these companies because 
working on the platform side is basically like working on the sales side of VC. You're ultimately selling this idea and product to founders to kind of come to you and for them to choose your firm to be the one. You're you're arguably the sales and customer service side. You are both. And so I, when he said that, I was like, I, I love this because I think a lot of people in platform, if I'm being quite honest, they, they're significantly underpaid. They do so much work, but get very little credit. And again, if you really want to talk about who the founders know firsthand, everything, who they open up to, you're like the therapist, you're the problem solver, you're, you're kind of like their, their calendar, you're holding them accountable. It's ultimately the person and platform. And so again, it was such an incredible experience and I am still so close to so many of the founders I worked with. And again, it just kind of reaffirmed to me, like, I want to do this and I want to do it in a way where I can, you know, really work with a lot of diverse founders, because as we both know, less than 2% of capital goes to, to diverse founders and women. And, and I, I wanted to be a part of that solution ultimately. Good for you. That's awesome. Good for you. Um, and I'm, I'm proud and excited to know you and the fact that you're this committed to this kind of vision for your professional life, because it, it will be that ultimate combination of the, the community, kind of your roots, right? Which is the people first. For sure. Um, but your, your activist side that, right. that is like not afraid to speak up and not afraid to be thoughtful about what is important in the world at the moment. Um, and then and then capital, right? Which is ultimately what makes the world go round, whether right. we like to admit that or not. Um, and so if you can combine those three as you now are pursuing very focused, um, it's going to put you in an incredible spot to, to, to do exactly what you said, to change the dynamic, right? So instead of, I've, I've said this oftentimes in this show's history and just amongst my relationships with friends and various people in the industry, right? Is like, would you rather get a seat at the table or like build a whole new table, right? And, wow. and sometimes, sometimes some people say, like, I just want, I'm fighting for a seat at the table. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. But my, my personal opinion is like, let's just build a different table. Right. Like let's let's literally just build a different asset class that says like, hey, this risk capital is being focused on these people because here's the data that proves that these people return greater, you know, uh, on the will return greater uh, on this capital. Right. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So so it's just to, to, to hear you saying like, OK, you found your way into the table. Right. And, and you've learned it and you're learning from one side of the table, which, frankly, as you said, is kind of too often treated as like the nice to have side exactly, right? and not the required side. When in truth, we realize it is the required it side. It should be the required side. Every VC firm, in my opinion, should have a platform side. And again, they need to be compensated fairly. And I say that because a lot of people I know in platform who I've had conversations with have mentioned this. Like, you know, they've mentioned the responsibility that they take on because it's not just in some firms community building, it's community building, it's events, it's marketing, it's operations, it's all these different things. And so, you know, you just want to make sure that like, you know, you're as a firm that you're really prioritizing that because when you prioritize platform, you're prioritizing your founders. And when you prioritize your founders, you're prioritizing success, you're prioritizing your brand, you're prioritizing what you want people to think of you, what you want people to know you as your reputation in the industry. No, I totally agree. I think in some ways, and not to say like in defense of the industry, but I think in some ways, just when we always try and understand the context of how things became the way they became, right, is the old 
original model of venture capital, which, which by the way, like, isn't like 7,000 years old. It's basically like about my age. It's like 50 ish years old. Um, and it's, and it's emanated from the West coast in Northern California, but it was basically, it was rooted around like, it was a guy and it was always a guy, right? It was a guy and it was just, it was a, it was a guy who either was a successful former business person, founder, or was just a wealthy investor. And, and so that person was all of it. They were the investor. They were exactly. platform. They, they were community. They had all the relationships. They were the mentor. They were the advisor. They were the like, and okay, cool. That's how it was, but that's not how it is anymore. And that's not, and that's not it at scale at all. And also like, you know, as you mentioned, like it started, you know, at that time. And I mean, now, I mean, when we look at how many startups are being built at rapid rates, it's like a partner can't do all of that, you know, before they, like you said, you're absolutely right. Somebody would be able to do all of that, right? Just text me if you have a question, I'll get back to you right away, whatever the case may be. But nowadays, I think founders as well are also being very intentional about who they want to have on their cap tables. And I think that that's why it is important to, you know, if again, if you have the means to be able to have someone on platform that can kind of like bring, bring those resources to life. And it's a great testament to your example of the young woman that said to you as your friend, oh my gosh, I wish you were an investor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? because there's, there's a founder, which let's talk about founders. There's the client, there's the customer, Yep. right? And there, and she's in the market and she's looking for investors and she's saying, well, man, I wish there was an investor that looked and sounded like you. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, and so now that's, now that's what you're pursuing. So let's talk about that. So you are, you are currently a fellow inside of the included VC fellowship program. Tell us about included VC and tell us about this fellowship experience that you're undergoing. Yeah, absolutely. So included VC is a global fellowship uh, based in London. It is an incredible fellowship that provides Basically, literally what the day-to-day of an investor is, is what we do. We learn about what it means to have an IC, what it means to source, what it means to do due diligence, how to score these decks, how to defend them, how to defend them in a mock IC. We have, you know, master classes. We have incredible speakers come in who are partners at some of the largest firms around the world who we get to speak to about, you know, different things that are happening in the industry. We have a lot of of work that we have to do. I, I literally call it like this, like this accelerated MBA just for investors. I was um, going to say, you wound up getting, you wound up basically know, getting multiple MBAs. I'm in two MBAs. One is an entrepreneur at grid 110 and one uh, as an investor, you know, hopefully uh, included. And, Good for you. and, you know, it's been just such an incredible experience. I think there's so many different fellowships and programs for, you know, aspiring investors. And I've participated in a few, like I did venture cooperative through Laconia with Jerry and I loved it. It was amazing. I think for me, I, I did include it because I, I knew people who did include it, who were able to make the switch from either platform or from another industry into an investor okay. role. And they spoke about how it prepared them immensely for their roles. And so it's an incredible fellowship. It's completely remote. And what I love is that it's so focused on diversity. So in my fellowship, I want to say we have people from at least 20 to 25 countries globally. And so I, I love the representation. And, and I think, you know, it's amazing because we're able to talk about things that maybe you wouldn't talk about in traditional VC from emerging markets to DEI. It's so it's been an incredible experience and I'm, and I'm still in it now. And so how long, how much longer does this last? About another month, month and a half. Okay. And then what's the, like, what's the dream outcome of this? Yeah. So the dream is that I 
become an investor. And I, especially in the past few months, have really been thinking about where I see myself because previously, you know, before MWP, I was working in retail and I was, and I love fashion. I, you mentioned fashion, right? So, I mean, you, you've got a, for a young person, you got a pretty good diversity of experiences already. For sure. And I loved it. It was, it was amazing. What I didn't like about fashion was the fact that, again, it was very underpaid. And I think, you know, unfortunately, if you want to be, you know, a C-suite level executive in the in the luxury fashion industry, it is a very difficult industry to work your way up because a lot of these companies are owned with, uh, you know, are like within an umbrella, right? Like an LVMH. Or, yeah, or, big, right, or yeah. yeah. And a lot of them will end up hiring people in their networks or hiring people in their families to like run yeah. a company. And so the cards are definitely stacked against you. But I think... I, you know, in the past few months, I've been thinking about where I see myself. And I definitely could see myself in that space on the retail consumer commerce side. I can also see myself on the impact investing side. I'm just so passionate about DEI. I realize, you know, even with, you know, talking about things like diversity, equity, and inclusion, talking about things like immigration, you know, Muslim, the Muslim community, Palestine, etc., that this is something I'm so passionate about. Like, I literally can't get off my phone when something's going on because I want to bring awareness to it. I want to, I want to make sure that I'm helping people. And so I think impact investing is, is an incredible way to do that. And, and so that is ultimately my goal. Um, and then after that, who knows? <laughs> no, I mean, and again, in fairness, right? You're young. You're right. It sounds like if I'm guessing right, you're roughly probably my daughter's age-ish. And so you guys are all you think you're old and the truth is you have an entire lifetime ahead of you. I hope so. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, uh, all right. So my only hope selfishly is that whatever you do next, I'm hopeful that you do it from here. I'm hopeful that we, I'm hopeful that we can keep you compelled to be here in Los Angeles and build here and not lose you to New York city or London or Singapore or someplace. No, you know what it is. I've lived in London. I went to London briefly for a summer for, for school. I went and studied abroad at London school of economics, which was an amazing, amazing experience. Um, I did live in New York city as well when I was working at XRC and I love both of them. Those cities are incredible, but there's just something about LA. Our organization is based here in, in, you know, Los Angeles. And I definitely have goals of what that, you know, looks like and how that transforms. But no, I, I do think that everything that I build moving forward will be based here in Southern California. And I want to hire people from LA. I want to hire people from diverse communities. I want to help build this ecosystem. Because like I said, I think we get kind of forgotten when people are talking about the ecosystem, but it's because we've been doing it for so long, you know, it just, it just, Sometimes just doesn't get enough attention, but I think there's so much beauty, as you said, for staying here. So I think there's so many incredible communities that have been built. A lot of firms are coming to LA and building at like such rapid rates. And so I would love to be a part of that. And um, because I do believe that this is like the greatest city ever. And I want it to, I want to be able to see its potential because it has so much potential to be, to be able to compete with these larger cities. That's great to hear. And I'll be in your corner the whole way. And that's a great way to put it too, is sometimes I think, I agree, I've never heard it articulated that way. Some of the reason it gets forgotten in the narratives and the press narratives is literally it's just here, it's just the economy. Exactly. <laughs> like like in, and here, and, and it's so big, like, again, Cal, Cal everybody knows, right? Exactly. No, it's, just, it's funny. It's, it's, it, I never really thought about it through that lens. Like it's, we're inside of California. 
right? Which everybody in the world knows is the fourth largest economy in the world. If it was a country, it'd be yep. a larger country than, you know, right? But I often use this statistic, which not a lot of people know, that is if Los Angeles, just Los Angeles, not the Southern California area, but just Los Angeles city and county, if we were a country, we'd be the 17th largest country in the world economically. See, it's like we, it's almost one of those things where we don't need to brag about it because we I, know That's it. what I was going to say, that's exactly. That's thing. Like, I think being from LA, it's like a kind of like this like way of life. Like, it's almost like we don't need to like yell it from the top of like, you know, a building that we are like am- amazing. It's almost like the numbers speak for themselves type of thing. And I think going back to what we're talking about, even just like entrepreneurs here, it's almost a way of life here. It's like, you know, people, I, I feel like people don't even use entrepreneur. They use like, oh, I'm a business owner, right? Like it's just a it's little- not, It's not a, it's not a new, new thing. Exactly. And so I think if we really push that forward, we continue to like invest in the entrepreneurs here you know, but specifically the diverse entrepreneurs, because yeah. I've, I've met some incredible entrepreneurs here from such diverse communities who are building so much, but, you know, VC, unfortunately is not built for diverse communities, you know, with less than 2% of capital going to diverse communities. And I think there was a statistic that said something along the lines of diverse teams deliver 60% better results and make better decisions in 80, 87% of the cases. And this is from Forbes. So, you know, I think even when we talk about VC... Women, women, women run companies, like exactly. on the public company, women run companies are more profitable. Women run businesses, women start more businesses. Minority, like brown and black skin women start more businesses at a faster rate in the US than anywhere else in the world. Exactly. And, and I think, unfortunately, DEI has been seen as like this kind of like a pity thing, like from VC, where it's like, oh, Oh, do we want to well, or philanth- we want philanthropy? To? Yeah, philanthropy. exactly. And it's not actually, it's like, you should be investing in diverse founders because they're going to get you higher returns and they're going to be more successful. And I think that's why we need more diverse investors. And I'm excited to see more people from diverse communities going into investing. I've had a lot of people in the Muslim community reach out to me about VC to learn more. And, and it's our job to make sure that we're paying it forward and that we're educating people because the space needs us. These founders need us. And if we're sourcing from our networks and beyond, and our networks are diverse, um, that's just going to help, you know, that's just going to help more founders of, of diverse backgrounds get more capital. Totally agree. Somebody asked me uh, three or four weeks ago, what I, if I had to name like one or two attributes that were going to be the differentiators for the entrepreneurial economy of Los Angeles over the next 50 to 100 years. And I said, it's easy. I said, I won't even name multiple. I'll just name one. Our diversity is our strength. Yeah, absolutely. To me, our diversity is our, it's, it's to your point, it's been our fabric of who we are for the last 50 years and it will literally be our defining quality. So if you're, if you're a company that wants to hire diverse and build diverse, build in Los Angeles. If you're an investment firm that wants to truly lean into your DEI initiatives in a meaningful way and not in a, in a philanthropic sidelight way, kind of like do it here. If you're a new young investor or a new diverse investor from backgrounds that aren't traditionally part of venture capital or private equity, come build your firm here. Absolutely. This is the fun segment. We close out. I return you into the mentor for the day. Uh, we've talked about so much your life story and your your wisdom around the industry and venture capital and why it's important to entrepreneurs is already great advice for people. So they're going to pick up all kinds of wisdom from the show, but we'd love to let you be the mentor for the day. And so if you can condense down just three pieces of great advice that we can share with our audience, 
you know, ideally maybe it's something that they take away and they go apply yeah. um, in, in their business or in their, or in their profession, or maybe it's just something they're inspired by um, to believe in themselves in the way that you found to believe in yourself. So if you can give us three pieces of advice, you get to be the mentor for the day, Sophia. Amazing. I think the first piece of advice that I would give and I'll, and I'll reference back to my parents is your identity is what gives you leverage. It's not something that's going to hinder you. So embrace your identity, embrace it unapologetically, lead with it and use it as a tool to also be able to open doors for other communities as well. Because if you're a Muslim only helping Muslims or a Christian only helping Christians or a Latina only helping Latinos, like we're never going to get anywhere. The second is as a founder, at the end of the day, you know your business the most. A lot of doors are going to be, uh, you know, closing your face. A lot of, you're going to hear a lot of no's. Make sure that you really are taking care of yourself and that you, you're building that resilience because I've seen a lot of founders, unfortunately, just kind of give up and, and they're, and they just, you know, they're afraid of VC. They're afraid of all of it and because, you know, they just, they keep getting, unfortunately, no's rejection is redirection is what I will say for that second one. And so keep pushing, keep building your network and keep going. Because if you truly see that there is a need for what you're doing and you believe in it, really lead with that. And the third thing I will say is we cannot underestimate the value of community. And this is not just in VC. This is not just as a founder. This is not just as an advocate slash activist community and what people want you need to make sure that you're always tying into your community. You need to make sure that no matter what leadership role you're in or where you're going in the, around the world, that you always know what your community wants. Because at the end of the day, and we're seeing this with so many businesses, subscribers and followers is not enough. People want to have that emotional tie. They want to make sure like they're a part of a community. And so make sure that you're listening to your community and you're giving them what they want. I love that. And you're a walking testament to that because one of the things that made me smile as you were giving an answer early on in the conversation was that you talked about when you started MWP, you started surveying people and you started asking people what they needed. And in my head, I'm thinking, God, look at her. She was doing product market fit and customer customer discovery before I even knew what it was. Right. And then what did it result in, which is another one of my favorite things that I always teach and mentor folks on, which is, you know, if you want to go global, I say go local, right? Like, and and so what did that result in? Like you reached out and you were doing customer discovery. And yet at the end of the day, the starting point was just you and three girlfriends getting together at a coffee shop and talking about like how you could support each other. And, and then discussing some of the broader discovery that came from people that you hadn't had at that coffee shop with you or that you hadn't met yet, right? And to me, that's walking the walk right there. That is That is the living testament to, to the advice that you just gave, which is terrific. So, hey, I'm grateful. It's been funny. We've known each other. No, we've been on- in each other's networks for years. Now we in never this know. online way, right? But but it's awesome to, I mean, and, and there's a million other things I want to talk to you about, but we can't do that all in one show. So I'm, I'm just, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you for leaning into your voice. I'm proud of you for using your voice uh, because it's literally your voice, right? We call it our platform. And my, but the truth is it's you decide you making a decision in the morning to say, this is who I'm going to speak up for today, or this is what I'm going to speak up about today. And I, the world needs, you know, X times a million that. Um, and so the fact, the fact that you're doing it on a daily basis in both your personal life and in your professional life is literally the glue that makes us again, 
the best country that we can be, the best world that we can be. My mom used to say to me, son, your whole mission in life is to leave every room a little bit better than you found it. Yes. Um, and ultimately at the end of the journey to look back and hopefully think that you left the world a little bit better than you found it. And you are, you are doing that. And I want to say thank you, Rob, because I think, you know, we know how BC is still not as diverse as it should be. And so I think when you speak out about certain things, people get upset or they're not happy. And I think, you know, it can be really hard to do the work that we do every single day. But hearing that from you really just, it, it makes me so happy. And it, and it is a reminder to even myself to keep going. So I want to thank you for that. My pleasure. Um, how do folks find you on social media or connect with you? Or importantly, how can people find MWP and, and connect with it or sign up for it? Yeah. So for MWP, you can visit MuslimWomenProfessionals.org. We have LinkedIn page, Instagram page, Twitter with all the the same names. And then for myself, you can follow me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on Twitter as well. And yeah, again, Rob, this was such an incredible experience. Thank you so much for having me and for all the work that you do and amplifying, you know, this industry and, you know, people of diverse backgrounds and most importantly, the city of LA. My pleasure. It's awesome. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. As always, we thank you so much for listening. Today's show was recorded in Los Angeles and produced by Deanna Bernal in Mexico City. You can always find, like, follow, subscribe, and share our show via any popular podcasting platform, as well as find us on social media at Mentors Today. And if you'd like to connect with our host, you can find Rob at I am Rob Ryan on just about any social media platform. Gracias and thank you.